So Sherry spoke the truth when she said the last week we started a series called True Life, First John. And in the first four verses that we looked at last week, here's what John said. He said that the apostles proclaimed that true life, that is eternal life, which is the only kind of true life, is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took on a human nature. That's where you find eternal life, is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took on a human nature. And that that message provides the way of fellowship with God and Christians and complete joy. And one of the reasons he brought this message to the church he was writing to, which was in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey, where he was ministering at the time, was because there was a group of, of uh, people who had some false beliefs about Christ, rejected that, and were leaving the church that was founded on the apostles. So that's the context in which he was writing. So today, uh, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through chapter 2, verse 2. A few verses. One thing that's easy about John is his language is very easy, but that's the only thing about John that's easy. Understanding and interpreting what he means and applying what he means is hard. So let's go. Let's look. Sherry read most of the text. We're going to read it again and, and listen to the pattern that John lays out. He, he gives five if statements after a, a lead-in statement that God is light. So uh, 1 John 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So simple words. Let's see if we can unpack what John has to say to us today. So verse 5, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. This is the foundational, indispensable truth that undergirds the whole message of true life. In other words, the message that eternal life is found in Jesus has an undergirding message that John says is the message that we proclaim, that they proclaim to them and thus to us today, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There are many passages in Scripture that describe God's nature and character. He is described as being merciful, righteous, patient, kind, good, all-wise, knowing, and so on. But only a few passages say that God is something where it just completely equates God is this, so something in his very essence. And John uh, captures most of those. So in John's gospel, so you have 
John wrote this letter, 1 John, and John wrote the Gospel of John. Um, in John's Gospel, he said this, God is spirit. So God, in his very essence, is spirit. And then later in this letter, of 1 John, in chapter 4, he'll say God is love. Not just that God is loving, but God is, in his very essence, God is love. And now this verse today, God is light. So God, in his very essence, is light. You say, great, what does that mean? Well, light gets a lot of press in Scripture. It's a very common image in Scripture. It's the first of God's creation. God spoke, and he said, let there be light, and there was light. So it was the first of his creation. In addition, it talks, the Scripture talks about God is said to clothe himself in light. So it seems to be part of his very reflection of his being. Uh, the light of God is often used as a symbol of life or salvation that he gives. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Also, for with you, the psalm writer says, is the fountain of life. In your light do we see light. So God's light reveals the truth about who he is. So the, it's the truth. It's life. And what we're going to see as we... See, in John today, that light, uh, the light of God is the life of God, equals his goodness, his holiness, and his truth. Now, I'm just going to mention a couple of verses from John's gospel. Again, John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So there you have light, life, light, not walking in darkness. And then in John chapter 3, 19 to 21, Jesus said, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So light, to say that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, is to say that God in his very essence is holy, holiness, he is righteousness, he is goodness, and he is truth. In him there is not a shred of unholiness, unrighteousness, no corruption, no evil, no falsehood, whatever. There is no one like God, none like him, who is so perfect in righteousness, holiness, truth, and love, and goodness. No corruption at all in him. Our world's gods are just big projections of us, aren't they? We make up our own gods, and they're just kind of like us. They're just like a big us, whatever, our, whatever gods we imagine. But there is no God like our God, no God who is infinitely perfect in love, truth, and goodness. We, we kind of get skeptical about that because we don't see it in the world. We think, how can God really even be a perfectly loving, good, holy, righteous, and God of truth? And so we need to rivet everything that we hear in the Scripture to the fact that God is light. In this letter in particular, everything that John says after this is going to be working out the implications of that. But John says, this is the message we apostles heard from him. From him refers back to Jesus Christ in verse 3. And you, you don't see in the Gospels anywhere where Jesus says, hey guys, listen up, God is light. You don't read that. 
But what you know is that that undergirds and, and permeates all of Jesus' teaching. The assumption in all of Jesus' teaching was that God, in his essence, is holy, just, good, true, perfect in all his ways. So just as for Jesus, the truth that God is light was not just a theological truth that had no connection to how we live, so it was with John. So for the rest of the letter, he's going to work out the implications of God is light. It's kind of like true north in your compass. Well, we don't use compasses much anymore, except in our dashboards of our cars, maybe. So where the compass points to north, that is true, true north. Or... Um, the lighthouse. So God is light. is like a lighthouse on the, on the ocean. But most of us are not seafaring people. So that doesn't work very well for us either. All right, how about this? The satellite for your GPS. Okay? And we know that those are not perfect, but God is. So God is the true direction for our lives. All right, so let's look at what John says. Because God is light, then we, we, we can evaluate uh, these claims that we might make. So the first claim that people might make, and particularly the false uh, teachers that left the church of the apostles, was this. If we say we have fellowship with him, this is verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say, if we say we have fellowship with God. In other words, if we say we have a close relationship, a spiritual connection, that means we share God's values, we, share, we, we, we love who he is, we support who God is, we're for God in his holiness and goodness and justice. If we say that we are close with God and we know that God saves us through faith in Christ and saves us into fellowship with him, a living love relationship. So if we say we have fellowship with God, but or while we walk in darkness... In other words, if we say we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in darkness, we keep on living in unholiness, falsehood, lack of love, we lie, we are lying, and we do not practice the truth. So walking in darkness hurts yourself and others, doesn't it? I mean, when it's pitch dark, you ever tried walking around in the darkness and finding yourself bumping into things, tripping over things, breaking things, hurting people? That's exactly what... John is saying that's what happens. We walk in the darkness. We bring damage to ourselves, to others, to things. And spiritually speaking, that means we don't, uh, we don't practice goodness, righteousness, or love. We are living a lie, in other words. If we say, I'm close to God, but we walk in the darkness, we live a lie, and we're not doing the truth. Literally, that's what John's saying. We don't do the truth. We need to be truth doers if we claim to, be, to have fellowship with God. Because if you do have fellowship with God, who is light, you will reflect more and more his light, his goodness, truth, and holiness. So just as a person claims to have been out in the sun will show his fellowship with the sun by having some color to their skin and vitamin D levels up, so when we claim to have fellowship with God and we walk in the light, as he is in the light, then we're going to show evidence that that is true. Or... If we claim to have fellowship with someone who is a good, righteous, and loving person, and we say, I'm really close to them, but we don't live that way, then that exposes we really don't value who they are. So people have told me um, off and on over the years, I've been in ministry, 
in the midst of being in gross sin, they will say things like this, I've never been closer to God. And I go, how does that work? How can you be telling me you've never felt closer to God when you're in the midst of violating clear teaching from his word? And so that is an example of claiming to have fellowship with God and walking in darkness. Verse 7 gives the positive counter to that. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son cleanses us from all sin. But if our lives are characterized by light, goodness, righteousness, and Christ's truth, if they reflect the light of God who is light, we not only validate our claim to have fellowship with God, but we have fellowship with each other. You know, it's common in our culture for people to say, well, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what I do in private. You know, what I do in my own personal life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't affect anybody. And what we learn from the Scripture is that's not true. What we do in private or public always affects other people. It affects our fellowship with God. It affects our fellowship with other people. Just because we don't immediately see it doesn't mean it doesn't do it. It doesn't have that impact. And that's what John's saying here. If we live in the light, we have fellowship with each other. But you say, well, if living in the light as God is in the light is the standard, that sounds like be holy for I am holy, and it sounds like it because it is similar to that. Jesus taught it. Old Testament taught it. Then I'm in trouble because I mess that up every day. So what hope is there for a person like me or like all of us who don't constantly live in the light? So is there any help and hope for us in this? Well, the difference between living in darkness and living in the light is not of perfection, but of direction, growth, and desire. In other words, do you continue to turn toward the light of God's truth even when you allow yourself to wallow in the darkness, dark desires and deeds to dominate you for, for a season? Do you detest your dark desires and deeds and keep redirecting your heart to God's light? That's the question. Are you like plants? You know how plants act in the sun. So they kind of point toward the sun. And as the sun moves across its course, you can watch the plants throughout the day and they'll gradually move and track with the sun. And then darkness falls and they kind of stop. Next day the sun comes out, plants kind of start moving back toward the sun. They follow the sun. Are we like that? That's what John's talking about. He's not saying anybody is perfect. He knows that's not true. He knows he's not perfect. But he's saying, do you keep moving into the light of God's truth, God's grace, God's gospel? Again, from John three twenty. this is not on the screen. But Jesus said, Everyone who does a wicked thing hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed as wicked. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Whoever does what is true comes to the light. You keep coming to the light over and over again, no matter how often you stumble back into the darkness for a season. So what John is saying is that if we keep turning toward the light, reorienting toward the light, that means we are attracted to the light of the gospel of Christ. So then the, then the blood of Jesus, God's Son, keeps cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Not just some, but all unrighteousness. God does a complete, thorough cleanup job over and over and over and over and over again. He keeps purging and cleansing us if we are walking in the light. This tells us that, yeah, God's standard is perfect. Perfect living in the light. As he is in the light, it is perfection. But if we keep moving into the light of the gospel, 
We will keep in fellowship with other Christians and the blood of Jesus will continually cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And this happens in fellowship with others. It's not that other people cleanse us from sin themselves, but because Christ, we belong to Christ because we are united to Christ. He saves us into fellowship with one another. There is no such thing as just kind of on my own, toughing it out on my own and being cleansed from sin apart from participation in the body of Christ. Because that's what we are. We are saved in the fellowship. We may not be doing it well, but we are part of the fellowship of Christ's followers. And John would say the group that split off from this church back when supposed that sin didn't matter because they were enlightened. But sin cleansing only happens in connection to Christ who unites us to his people. So if you just exit God's people and you're comfortable with that decade after decade... That's not a good sign that you have true life because true life is drawn to other people who have life, right? You want to be where the life is, even if it's hard. Second claim that John is criticizing here or exposing is verse 8. He says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the first claim, saying that we have fellowship with God while we walk in the light, or while we walk in the darkness, excuse me, Um, says sin doesn't matter. So the first claim said, you know, sin doesn't really matter. I can have fellowship with God even though I don't care much about sin. Saying we have no sin, that's what he's saying here in verse 8, is denying that our sins are actually sin. It's worse than the first claim because in the first we at least say, well, yeah, I sin, but it doesn't really matter to God. What he's saying here is I'm... I'm, um, I'm saying that sin is not even sin, or I'm saying that sin really has no guilt. And he says, if that's the case, we deceive ourselves about the nature or guilt of our sin. So we, think, we say things like, I, I didn't really sin. I just made some bad choices. Or I can't help it. I'm only human. Often, often, often we just excuse ourselves that way, don't we? I can't help it. I'm only human. Uh, I wasn't responsible. I just got carried away. Uh, It just suddenly overtook me. It's my addiction. I have a disease. I wasn't responsible for my actions, and so on. We make excuses for taking responsibility for our sin. When we have sinned and deny the guilt of our sin or deny that our sin is actually sin, we deceive ourselves, and God's truth is not in us. That's what John is saying. We're we're self-deceived. His truth is not at work in us, in other words. Christ is the truth. Christ called the the Spirit, the Spirit of truth. We have resisted the work of God to implant His truth in us if saying we have no sin is the persistent pattern of our lives. If we keep saying, I have no sin, then that's a sign that God's truth is not at work in us. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To confess our sins means literally to agree with God about our sins. To say the same thing God says about our sins. So if I agree with God, if I say what God says about my sin, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God doesn't just drop the charges and say, ah, no big deal. He goes on cleanup work and he forgives He provides a way for our sins to be forgiven. So 
John says that God is faithful and just. He's faithful to forgive our sins. Faithful because he's promised all over the place to be a forgiver of sins. So, for example, in Psalm 103, the Lord forgives all your iniquity. Or Psalm 32, I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin, the guilt of my sin. And the Lord is just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from, and there we go again, all unrighteousness. God is into cleaning up all of our unrighteousness, all of our sins. And he's just to do that. We might say, well, if God is just, and I know I'm guilty, if I even admit that, then he would be just to punish me. And and we would say, actually, you're right. He is just to punish sin. Well, I thought this was good news. Well, hang on. He was just to punish our sins in Christ on the cross, so he could be just to forgive our sins. He was just to punish our sins in Christ on the cross, so he could be just to forgive us our sins. The solution to our sin problem is not to say we have no sin by minimizing it, by claiming our sins are not sins or that our sins have no guilt. If we don't think our sins are really sins or we deny the guilt of our sins, we won't confess them to God or others. In other words, we we want the benefits of forgiveness of sin and cleansing without meeting the condition of confessing our, our sins. We want the benefits, for example, of a restored, reconciled relationship without repentance. And so confessing our sins is not uh, a morbid thing. It's a liberating thing because it's it's reflecting a, a heart that's alive with God's truth. Christians are not sinless in this life. Have you noticed that? Yeah, it's true. I hate to break it to you. We're not sinless in this life. People say, well, the church is full of hypocrites. Well, you're only a hypocrite if you're pretending that you don't sin, if you're trying to cover up your sin. And, yep, we, that's one of our sins, isn't it? Hypocrisy is a, is a sin that we need to keep repenting of. We should become more and more sensitive to sin, not less. The great promise is that we keep living in God's light by confessing our sins to Him and, as pertinent, to confess it to others. Not all sins we confess to others, but some the ones that people know that we have an obligation to confess to other people as well. The great promise is that we keep living in God's light by confessing our sins to Him, and He keeps forgiving us. We keep confessing, He keeps forgiving. We keep confessing, He keeps forgiving. And we plug it up, we plug up the relationship if we don't confess our sins to God, at the very least, and sometimes to others as well. And He keeps cleansing us from, I just love that word, all unrighteousness. He doesn't just do a half job. He continues to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we may not be perfect confessors, and that's something that we need help with. So it's not the perfection of our confession. It's, it's the heart that we recognize that even as I confess my sins, I don't confess them perfectly, and I need God's help in doing that as well. So we who have true eternal life, true life is eternal life, who have fellowship with God will want to keep receiving what God provides to preserve and grow that relationship. That brings us to the third claim that John addresses in verse 10. He says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, in verse 
verse 6, John said, if we claim to have fellowship with God while living in darkness, we don't do the truth. In verse 8, John said, if we claim we have no sin, that is, if we deny the guilt of our sin or deny that we have sin, uh, deny that our sin is sin, then we deceive ourselves and God's truth is not in us. Now in verse 10, John says, if we say we have not sinned, we have not sinned. This is a step worse than denying the guilt of our sin or denying that our sin is actually sin. This could be a flat-out denial in general that a person has ever sinned. That's crazy to say that. But it could be, he could be speaking to that. I suppose some could be so seared and conscious to believe and claim that. Uh, that would contradict scriptures that say things like, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But another way people could be claiming, we have not sinned, could have this sense. I know what God's word says, but my experience contradicts it, so I'm going to choose to believe that I have not sinned by my own authority. In other words, I, I reject God's word and I redefine it based upon my authority or my experience. So therefore, I declare I have not sinned. So, for example, there's a man who is a New Testament scholar. He knows the Bible really well. He's a scholar in the New Testament who happens to um, be an advocate for legitimizing homosexual behavior. Listen to what he says about how he does that, and he and others like him do it. He says, I think it's important to state clearly that we do, in fact, reject the straightforward commands of Scripture. That's a stunning admission. We reject the straightforward commands of Scripture. And appeal instead to another authority when we declare that same-sex unions can be holy and good. And what exactly is that authority? We appeal explicitly to the weight of our own experience and the experience thousands of others have witnessed to, which tells us that to claim our own sexual orientation is, in fact, to accept the way in which God has created us. So they're taking their experience and the fact that a whole bunch of people think like that and saying, we know what the Word of God says, we are even studiers of the Bible, he's a professing Christian and knows the Bible well, and says, I reject it and say my experience trumps that. That, I think, is what John is talking about. That's the worst form of all. And we we do that. Um, Many say, I know the Bible says what I'm doing is wrong, but I believe God just wants me to be happy. And being happy means choosing my own way. So my choice to do this must be right for me. When we do this, we override God's word about our sin with our own determination that we have not sinned. Well, the last couple of verses in, in this section are the first couple of verses in uh, chapter 2. And I'll just briefly speak to those. So John is not angry when he's writing. He's not angry at them. He says, my little children, he shows his affection for them. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. The fact that John has insisted so much that sin is reality in a Christian's life should not lead to a whatever or what's the use of trying not to sin attitude. Nor should we take God's good promise of forgiveness and cleansing as we live in his light and confess our sins to mean we don't fight, flee, and forsake sinning. He says if we do sin, however, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. If anyone sins, we have an advocate, a mediator with the Father, 
That advocate is Jesus Christ, the righteous. Unlike us, Jesus is 100% acceptable to God. There's not anything about him that God does not accept because he's perfectly righteous, perfectly reflects the character of God, because he is the Son of God. You say, well, that's great that Jesus is righteous before the Father. That's good for him, but how can that really help us when we still have a sin problem? And John tells us in verse 2, he says, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So here's how Christ being our advocate with the Father helps. He is the propitiation for our sins. You say, I'm, that doesn't help me because I don't know what propitiation means. All right, so here we go. Another vocabulary word. Propitiation means a sacrifice that satisfies God's just wrath against sin. The song in Christ alone, which we may get to sing here if I stop in time, expresses this well. And on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Now, as a result of God's providing the sacrifice for us in order that he could turn away his just judgment against us, that, that is not a hateful God. That's a loving God to provide the very thing that he needs to, to, to turn away his judgment against us and putting it on his own son that also results in our cleansing and forgiveness, the removal of sin from us. So, uh, John adds that Christ is his propitiation not for our sins only, not just John's sins and those of the church at Ephesus, but also for those of the whole world. All peoples in the world who turn to Jesus Christ may have the saving benefits of his advocacy and propitiation. Jesus' advocate and propitiation is not just for a few who are enlightened ones with secret knowledge, as the false teachers taught, but therefore all who believe. So God is light. God is light. And therefore, the good news is, in his light, in his love, he's provided the way for us to, to have sin forgiven. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the, the knowledge of the glory of Christ, of God in the face of Jesus Christ the saving, transforming light of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, your word is clear. Our understanding is dull. I don't begin to grasp all that it means to say that you are light and in you is no darkness at all because we don't have anything like you in this world that is perfect and infinitely holy, just, good, true, and loving. So only, Father, as you continue to reveal yourself to us through Christ, through your word, and imperfectly through your church, do we grow in the conformity and are transformed by the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Thank you, Father, that in your great mercy, you satisfied your own just judgment against our sin in Christ, made him the satisfactory sac sacrifice. He who knew no sin, he never had the experience of sinning himself, became sin for us that we might become your righteousness in him. Thank you, Father, that that truth is so freeing, so liberating, allows us to not have to cover up our sin, but you cover it for us in Christ. Help us, Father, to live as children of light, fully loving the fact that you are light, that you are holy, that you are just, you are good and true in all your ways, that we would grow more and more into the likeness of Jesus. In his name, amen.